Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the We Will Break the Stigma podcast. I hope you all have been doing well and that you are making it through uh, the the dog days of winter now. Um, hopefully, you know, within a couple months, we'll have spring and some warmer weather. I just wanted to say something quick before I begin this week's uh, episode and content. I haven't been putting out as many podcasts and podcasts every week anymore, um, just due to uh, a heavy caseload of uh, schoolwork. I'm taking three classes this semester, which I've never done before, and working on top of that. So this podcast, even though I, I really, really would like to do an episode or more a week, it's not super realistic to do that. Um, so I'm doing it when I can. And um, I have had a lot of guests that have wanted to come on and I'm pushing those back a little bit just so I don't burn myself out, even though I really want to be recording the podcast. And that's one of my favorite things that I do each week, just to listen to everybody's story and hear them break their stigma for the first time or maybe for a bunch of times. Um, So I just wanted to let you all know that and that this isn't going away and uh, that I am just taking a little bit of a breather. So anyways, uh, thanks for that. And today I have a guest on that this conversation will be really cool um, because my guest, her name is uh, Karen Collins and I met her through living in my community of Acton Boxborough and through my 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 family. She's a, a friend of our family's a, a good friend and um somebody who I, I look up to. Um I ride rode my first Pan Mass Challenge, um, the bike ride across Massachusetts benefiting cancer with Karen last last year. And she was really instrumental to helping me get through that bike ride. Um, and today Karen and I are gonna talk about her mental health, her story, and she's gonna be talking publicly about things that people hide for decades and longer and dispelling the notion that we have to hide. And like the message of this podcast saying, no, it's better if you talk about it. And in fact, we all have issues. So why don't we all just talk about it and make these issues not feel as big of a deal as they feel to us currently. So with that, I'll welcome Karen onto the show, and um, I can't wait for this episode. So thanks so much, Karen, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Um, it's good to be here, and you did great last year in the Pan Mass. So that wasn't me; that was you. Thank well, thank you so much. I um, this year, this year should be awesome doing a doing a, a standard ride to. Uh, to Cape Cod and ending in Provincetown. Um, just so the listeners know, last year my back gave out on me um, on the la- on the on the first day, and I was supposed to ride on the second day, but my back hurt for like two weeks, um, and to the point where it was hard to walk. But uh, but I made it through the hundred miles in one day, which is really surprising and incredible it's a it's it's a really hard race um I I I definitely underestimated every everybody and and how strong they were um so I wanted to start today by 
uh, giving a background on Karen and talking about who she is, and then we'll get into more of the 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 hidden aspect or what was the hidden aspect of her um, that also you know kind of explained um, who she was in in terms of her challenges that we all have. So first off, Karen, um, where, where do you live and, uh, and where are you from? Sure. Um, so we live in Boxborough, Mass, and I am a corporate child, meaning um, we moved around um, fairly frequently when I was growing up. So I was born in New Hampshire. We moved to Illinois. We relocated to Connecticut. We moved to Rochester, New York. We moved back to Connecticut. Um, so I, I don't necessarily have a home base, um, but my, my children were primarily raised in Massachusetts. So. I got it. Got it. Um, and what, what, what is your, what's your career? Um, what, what do you do? What do you do for work? I am a self-taught pastry chef and I started a company, it's uh, Bisu Sweet Confections. I started it in my house in 2005. I used to make uh, decorated cakes and cookies and custom orders that I sold directly to different clients. And we got our first wholesale customer, a local high-end store in 2009. And at that point, I decided to pivot the business and we became a wholesale bakery. So I now am the CEO and founder of a wholesale bakery um, that's located in Shirley, Massachusetts. Yeah, super cool. And, and shout out to, to uh, Bisu Sweet Confections if... if if you all haven't tried um, any of their stuff, it's delicious and it's it's available really everywhere. It's available a lot of places. I I um, I was just out in California visiting family and they uh, <laughs> they brought um, donut muffins as one of the uh, one of the treats for the ski weekend and I was like, wow, like this is all the way out in California. <laughs> um, so uh, you know that's just just amazing. What, what do you, what do you love about it? Um, I love everything about it. I, I think that there is something really amazing about being able to make decisions and try things and, um, you know, try recipes or try, try people in different roles and try to create systems. And then, realize they don't work and try again. So I think there's just a lot of opportunity to be creative on multiple in, I don't know, in many different ways, you know, it's not just being creative in the kitchen. It's being creative with people. It's being creative with processes and um, constantly adapting and evaluating. Yeah, that that makes total sense. So you would say you're you're pretty entrepreneurial and and creative, and you like um, you know figure problem solving and figuring out what works. 
and what doesn't in a variety of different ways. Totally. Yep. Yeah. So cool. Me, me too. That's, um, it's kind of the, th- you know, in my short time, um, I've been in the workforce for five years and that's one of the things I've mostly realized is that's kind of what excites me. Um, and it can be harder, you know, when you're less established, being able to get a role that where you're able to do that. But, um, that's something I try to be able to do and contribute to in, 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 in everything that I'm doing. Um, and that's actually a reason I created the podcast is, you know, it allows me to be creative and it allows me to connect with people and, um, you know, start my own thing, which is really, really fulfilling. And which is something I'm sure you felt through all the challenge, the really challenging aspects of starting a business. Um, you know, even though you love it, it, it is also probably super grueling and super hard. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. It's one of those things where you don't quite realize what's happening until it's, you're over the latest, you know, quote fire. And then you're like, wow, damn, that sucked. (laughs) So, um, you just have to, it's like a marathon. You just keep your eyes way ahead in the distance and keep going. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing that. You know, I do that with this as well. Like I, you know, I'm not, I don't really pay attention to who watches this every week. And I know that my purpose and the enjoyment and passion that I get out of doing this and that I, that I get, you know, out of being able to have these conversations um, and the effect that they have is more powerful than any, you know, thing about the, the struggle and the, the grind. So I really just have my, my eyes set in the, in the future of when this is, you know, a platform where hundreds of people have come on and talked about their mental health. And we have a, a community wide, you know, destigmatized mental health conversation. And that is what powers me through, you know, the, the time consumingness of, you know, doing this on top of other things and juggling all that, you know, I'm not saying this, I'm not equating that to, you know, the, the work that you put into BC Suite, but it is just looking ahead and not getting sucked into the minute and challenging details. Yeah, no, it's all relevant and it, it, it is totally similar. It's, you know, what do we prioritize and why and, and then how, <laughs> you know, so it's a constant balancing act. So, um, I get it. Yeah, totally, totally. And, uh, and, and you have, uh, you know, and kids and, and, um, you know, other responsibilities to worry about all, all the while managing the business. Fortunately for me, I, I'm, I'm mostly just focused on, you know, myself um, right now. So I have some more, I'm leaning, trying to lean into that time to create some of the things that I want. And um, so, you know, being able to be a leader and somebody that, you know, employs and, 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 you know, helps people, um, you know, do, do something that they can be proud of and be, be happy about is, is a really, really cool role. And, and, um, you know, something that I look up to you in terms of how you've 
you know, weathered the storms of, of creating the, the organization that you did. So with that, I want to turn to, um, I want to turn to a, a slightly different question um, and, you, and you hit on it a little bit, um, but it's kind of my last question for people to get to know you. Um, it's a question I like to ask a lot of people, um, but what are you, what are you passionate about? What, what, what wakes you up in the morning? Um, I am, I am passionate about people, mostly, you know, primarily my children and my family. Um, I am my, everyone that I work with is sort of falls under that family umbrella. So waking up and, you know, going to work, all that kind of stuff is easy because, um, it does feel like family and the work that we're doing feels important and purposeful and my role in it feels, you know, feels important as well. So, um, I am passionate about, um, raising money to, fund research and development to fight cancer, um, to find a treatment and a cure for cancer. Um, I've been writing in the pan mass challenge for many years. Um, and I, I feel very, there's no necessarily personal connection. I didn't have cancer. No one in my family, my, my dad had prostate cancer, but he, you know, kind of it, it didn't really disrupt his life or our lives very much. So, but I do feel passionately about that. And then I feel passionate about mentoring people and giving back. Um, so I, I like doing things that help other people. So, um, so yeah, those are things that kind of get me going. Awesome. All, all really tremendous things. And just wanted to um, applaud you for the job you've done, hoping to um, lead team, team, team crank for the Pan Mass Challenge. That's the team I ride on as well. Um, and we had some incredible uh, fundraising this past year um, for, especially for a smaller team. Um, so what you're doing there is, is tremendous. And like I said, motivates me and, and inspires me in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm also passionate about giving back as well. Um, so that's, that's important to me. And I've had way too many people I know die from cancer. Um, and so I would love to, you know, dream and see a day where, you know, that's the cause of death is more likely, you know, something else or old age than, than cancer. And similarly, I, I've had people that I know um, pass away because of mental health. Um, and, um, you know, I lost one of my best friends um, or my best friend in high school, um, you know, two years ago. And I am doing this for him. Um, and I haven't really talked about that specifically, um, but, you know, this wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. He inspired me to talk about myself and, and challenged me to open up 
Um, and I'm so thankful that he did. Um, and, you know, I just wish he was here to be able to come on this, this podcast. Um, so that's, that's what motivates this. Um, when I'm thinking, Oh, uh, I don't want to share more about myself or, you know, people are going to think I'm weak or they're going to think something's wrong with me. And the stigma gets at me. I just think about him and that, that quickly dispels all that. So thank you for being a part of this. Yeah, no, I think that, um, we all need to know. I think it's hard to know where to go when the North star is not that clear. And when there's a purpose that we can connect to and we feel, you know, we understand our why and have that drive. Um, that that's, that's powerful. So, um, and I'm sorry, lost your friend. I think it's just, it's devastating. So, so devastating. Yeah. And then I want to prevent as many of those things from happening as possible. Um, you know, I know you, uh, serve on the acting box reunited way, uh, board and they, after acting has had so many, some challenges with, mental health of, of, of youth and kids. And that's been a really big focus. Um, so thank you for all that work. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to show the community, um, you know, in the smallest way possible, you know, that us talking about things means that you, you can too, and you can, you know, tell your mom or dad, your sister, your brother, your, grandmother your friend you can tell somebody get it out of you of your you know get it off your chest and get it out and you'll be surprised at just how much better you feel and you'll also be surprised when somebody tells you that they've gone through the same thing or something similar um just because you you would never have expected it so with that let's let's pivot over to um, the mental health segments of the conversation, and we'll get into um, what what you have struggled with. Um, and before we do that, um, just want to give a uh, trigger warning for anybody that struggles with um, eating disorders um, of any nature. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, Karen's uh, struggles and resilience through, um, having an eating disorder. Um, and so if anybody doesn't want to listen to that, um, just obviously that's going to be the entirety of the episode. Just wanted to let you all know. So, so Karen, can you, uh, first explain, um, your, your struggle with, an eating disorder and what living with that eating disorder looked like for you. I think it'd be helpful for you to explain what an eating disorder is. I think there uh, is a, is a lot, there are a lot of misconceptions about what this actually is in society. Okay. Um, so there are many kinds of eating disorders. There's, um, you know, there's mine in particular was uh, bulimia, which is a binge purge cycle. And I also struggled 
at times with anorexia, which is um, restricted eating. And uh, I think that, can you repeat your question? Can you repeat your question? Sorry. Yeah, of course. Um, no, thanks. That, that's, that's, um, that's something I, I, I think a lot of times what I hear and, and just being honest um, and what I didn't really understand um, entirely until we had a conversation um, was that, you know, an eating disorder takes a lot of shapes. Um, but, but when, you know, just because somebody is, you know, really, really diet, you know, dietary restrict restricting themselves doesn't mean they definitely have an eating disorder. Um, or just because somebody's really skinny doesn't mean they have an eating disorder. Um, so, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to throw out there that just be to, for people to be conscious, including myself on labeling things, um, you know, because that can be really hurtful to people that actually suffer with the, with the disorder, with the, um, challenge, um, similar to with me having OCD, if somebody says, you know, oh, that person's apartment is, you know, so clean that they're so OCD, you know, that doesn't actually really bother me that much, but I know it bothers a lot of people. Um, so that's kind of why I wanted you to explain what, what an eating disorder actually looks like. And can you explain what it looked like for you, um, experiencing your first, uh, uh, binge purge cycle at 16 years old and, and take us into what you were experiencing, uh, at that young age? Yeah. So, um, I, I think that in many ways, um, what got me to first, um, you know, my first episode with binging and purging was a perfect storm. You know, we had moved a lot. I was relatively new to where we were living. Um, I was doing gymnastics. My body had changed, you know, puberty. And um, I felt overweight and the goal for gymnastics and, you know, just the social pressure of being in high school is, you know, thin is, thin is pretty and pretty means you fit in. And I didn't feel like I was any of those things. And so, um, I, I had a group of friends, someone in this group, um, had an eating disorder. I didn't know it. Um, but then sort of found out through the grapevine and, and thought what a good idea that was, um, you know, like what a good idea I can eat, whatever I want. I can make myself sick. I won't have any of the calories and, um, that is going to solve all my problems. And so at age 16, um, it seemed brilliant to me and it quickly, um, it quickly took over. Um, and I think that before I really understood what was happening, I was, um, I was locked into this cycle. So, um, 
So I think it's it's one of these things that um, as a 16 year old, I didn't really understand what what I was doing and how much it was going to impact my entire life. To this day, I'm almost 52 and it continues to, you know, I've carried this with me the whole time. So we traveled a long way. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it definitely. I, um, I actually looked this up when Karen and I were talking prior to recording this episode and wanted to share this with, with the audience. Um, that'll help enhance your, your understanding. Um, and really, it really clicked for me, the, the psychological aspects of a, of an eating disorder. Um, so a typical binge, binge cycle, um, looks like the person is dieting, um, and they are, are feeling in control. Um, and they're feeling like things, you know, are, are, are good. Um, they experience hunger, which, um, causes anxiety um, because they they don't want to feel that hunger and you know in, in, in many cases they want the control to be able to feel that you know feel hunger when they want to um, and, and if, if they're you know they're hungry they 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 eat um, and when they eat they actually feel guilt um, if you can just really imagine, eating and feeling guilty, um, you know, which I'm sure some of you do um, in terms of, you know, disordered eating. Um, and once they feel guilty, they are, and and Karen can explain it, you know, better. Um, they, they, you know, kind of say, um, fuck it for lack of a better phrase and, binge and eat a lot, um, you know, and eat, eat, eat a ton. Um, and I actually related to that. This was my cycle with alcohol when I was, you know, sober or drinking in moderation, I felt really in control. But then when I had the desire or craving to, uh, drink more, it created a lot of anxiety. And then I would drink more than I was supposed to feel guilty. And then literally, say fuck it and just completely binge um so you know this exists in in you know any kind of addiction or um you know disorder um and then after the binge they will feel numbness and um and and purge um to feel redemption and then diet again um and karen can you uh talk about how disruptive this cycle was to, to your life and really the challenges that living with this disorder, disorder cause you? Yeah, the, the biggest things um, is that it, it required a lot of time and energy and, and money. And so, um, once a binge started, it wasn't like eat a cookie and then purge. It was eat a cookie, go get as much food as possible, eat and then purge. And, um, and the, the overlying thing is 
covering up um, and hiding all of this while it's happening. Um, because my goal was to protect and hide the, you know, this addiction or this, this illness that I was struggling with. So, um, so it just, it, it took over, it took a life of its own. So if I had plans to meet a group of people to study, um, and I ate something that triggered a binge, I wouldn't meet my friends and I wouldn't study. Um, instead, I was bulimic and focusing on the binge and hiding evidence and cleaning up the bathroom and not, you know, trying to operate, do this stuff without anyone noticing. Um, there were times when the, you know, it would be once a day. There were times in college that were eight times a day. It really took on a life of its own. Um, the, the one thing um, that also happened was at some point, I, I really didn't want this to, you know, be ruined. It, I felt very, I think by the first year in college, I felt in the beginning of college, I felt like it was taking over and taking, um, distracting me and I was losing control. Um, which is funny cause I never had control in retrospect, but I, I wasn't able to manage it. And so that's when I, you know, sort of tried to take this very rational approach. Food is causing this eating disorder. If I don't eat um, the trigger foods, then I won't have this problem. And so that brought me into an anorexic cycle where, you know, what was a trigger food? Well, a trigger food was, you know, it started off like anything sugary, anything fattening, you know, whatever it was. And then as I went forward, I started adding more and more trigger foods like, well, salad dressing is now a trigger food or fruit is now a trigger fruit food. And so, so it just, in trying to solve one thing, I ended up, um, you know, causing another, it just, you know, pivoted into another eating disorder. Um, so which caused, you know, more, more stuff. So does that answer? Yeah, yeah totally. Um, thank you, uh, for, for sharing all that. So you, you talked about, um, the challenges in, in, in college, um, and, you, you talked about coming home from, from freshman year because you were, you know, anorexic and then sophomore year struggling with bulimia. Um, and then junior year, um, you actually, you know, stopped functioning because of this um, and went to the hospital. Can you talk about that progression in more in a little more detail? 
Yeah. Um, so freshman year, I struggled with bulimia. It turned into anorexia. It was easy for me to hide being bulimic. I could not hide anorexia. I went, dropped down to about a hundred pounds and, um, was visibly ill. Um, I called my brother and my parents were out of the country and, um, he helped me get home. Um, after that, I, I didn't go back to college, um, right for the first semester, um, sophomore year, because I was home trying to recover and be healthy. And I went back to college and I think at that time, um, you know, I was going through the motions of quote, you know, recovery, but I really was just hiding, learning how to hide things better. And, um, and I, I was great at it. It was, it was easy for me to lie about it. It was easy for me to, um, you know, avoid situations. Um, and it just, again, like it just took over. So, um, I, it's like a, you know, I, I withdrew from people. I withdrew from, um, the reason why I was supposed to be at college, you know, so classes, um, you know, I put all of it aside so that I could, um, you know, just focus on this eating disorder and keeping it going because that made, that brought peace to me. That sort of became this coping skill, um, that made me feel okay. And, um, even though it caused all of these other problems, there was a part of my brain that said, this is, this is helping you be better and feel better. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And did you, what did, were you able to uh, end up graduating from college or did it cause you not to? I did graduate from college. Um, it did take me six years. So by the time I was a junior, I, I really, the eating disorder had spiraled out of control and I was seeing, I was in therapy and I was seeing someone and I, I just sort of felt myself surrendering. Like I, I literally cannot control this. Um, I'm making really bad decisions and I'm not, I, I need more help than just seeing a therapist once a week. And so Um, I decided at that point to go into an inpatient program in a hospital and I did that. Um, I was there, I think for two months or so, two or three months felt like two or three years. (laughs) So, um, and 
you know, I think that it was helpful in that um, it made it impossible for me to um, continue during that time, um, this binge purge cycle. Um, I think it was ineffective in so many ways because there was no continuing care that was meaningful um, set up for me after the fact. And so in many ways it was it was like a band-aid, um, but it didn't really set me up for it didn't change anything. It just it was a temporary sort of, you know, red flag, I can't do this anymore. And so in order to, you know, stay alive and, um, you know, try, try something, it was a drastic approach. Um, but it, it didn't have, it didn't, it, there was no magic pill that solved this problem. So, um, so, and then when I, I returned to college, I was in line for a senior seminar. And when I got up to, you know, the desk where I would sign up, the woman looked at me and said, you're not a senior. And I said, well, I am a senior. And she said, nope, you're not, you don't have enough credits. You're this blah, blah, blah. And, and then at that point I decided, I think that evening I was done. And so I packed up my car, drove home, ended up finishing college at, um, I graduated from UVM. Um, and it was two years later than I was scheduled to graduate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I gotcha. Well, I'm glad that you were, you know, even though it took you a long, longer time that you were able to end, end up finishing. Um, were there, were there any, um, there weren't really any strategies that you used during the, 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 really the heat of the challenges around the eating disorder, um, you know, in college, um, that, that were helpful was, was there anything that was helpful to, to, you know, dealing with the, the eating disorder or did that really come at a later time? I, it really came at a later time. Um, and my guess is that I was being offered help and helpful solutions, but that's not what I wanted. You know, I wasn't looking for help. I was looking, I don't know, it's hard to describe or explain, but I think that there was a part of me that was looking for help. And then there was part of me that um, didn't want to give up this eating disorder. So, um, there was, there was conflict internally for me. Yeah. So, so you, people wanted to help you, but you weren't open to receiving the help and you weren't, um, you weren't really there, you know, yourself in terms of, um, wanting to make a change. Um, you know, even though, even though people around you probably wanted to help. Is that right? Yeah. It, or if I wanted help, it wasn't consistent. So I would want, but then as soon as I, I, you know, was feeling that urge to 
eat something or if I ate something that I knew was a trigger food and I was trying to just, you know, focus on moderation and it doesn't have to trigger a binge and you can, Karen, you're allowed to have a cookie. Um, it, it really, at, as soon as I was in that mode, it was really hard to tap into the Karen who wanted to be healthy and make, you know, better choices and surround myself with people. That's like when I did the opposite. So. Yeah, no, totally. Um, that makes, that makes total sense. It's, it's that old, old phrase. You can lead a horse to water, um, but you can't make them drink it. And, um, what I'd say on that is, and my sister and I talked about it last on our last, my last podcast is that, you know, really the, sometimes the most helpful thing is to just listen and be there as somebody that somebody can share things with um, and somebody that can listen and not be judgmental, um, but doesn't, but you don't have, that doesn't mean you have to fix whatever problem and challenge that that person's going through. Um, because if they're not ready to make the set steps that they, they need to, then you trying to fix it, it could actually hurt the relationship and hurt things. The person that is struggling really needs to want to get the help. Um, you know, so otherwise it's just really falling on deaf ears. Um, although you do try to support people, but understand that, you know, there's nothing personal if they don't listen to you, if they're not ready to get the help that they need. So let's talk about, um, the, the, the road to recovering, um, you know, and recovering and, and, and quotes, um, because a common misconception, um, about recovering from, you know, or living with any mental illness or disorder is that, you know, recovery looks like you never struggle, um, you know, or you never experience the same things. Uh, and that, that just is flat out not true. Um, so, but, but it does mean that you can function with the, whatever challenge you have. Um, so what, um, what, what did your, you know, recovery look like? What, what, what happens? Take us into what, you know, Karen looked like when she, when you, you figured out, okay, like enough's enough. And like, I want to, you know, I want to work on this. I, I realized I needed to make a immediate change. Um, after I had my children, um, I struggled with my eating disorder throughout all three pregnancies. And there was a moment when, um, I was newly divorced from their father. The kids were really young and I was in the middle of, um, purging and the bathroom door was locked and I could hear that, you know, my kids crying. Um, and my oldest son was knocking on the door and, you know, just saying, mommy, can you open the door? And that, that was 
that was my low, you know, my rock bottom. Um, and I, that was it. It was cold Turkey. Um, it was, you know, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror, um, in that bathroom. And I remember this very distinctly. And I just thought to myself, this is, this is it. This is over. Um, if you eat something and it's a trigger food and you binge, that is yours to manage, but it is not like there will be no more throwing up. There is no more locked doors. Like you just can't, can't do this anymore. And, um, and that was, that was the major turning point for me. Um, and I realized, you know, quickly that it was hard and, but I, you know, I just put into motion in my head that, um, it was non-negotiable. I was, I, I would rather, um, suffer the consequences of, you know, feeling sick to my stomach after a binge or gaining a lot of weight, um, because of binging and then put myself back into a, you know, a locked bathroom and, um, you know, the thing that's great about, you know, the, my why for getting healthy, my children, they were loud, they were energetic, they were, you know, needed attention. They, I, I really had to put myself aside in order to focus on them and, um, and, and it wasn't even putting myself aside, but I did have to put the eating disorder aside and it, it just, my why was present all day, every day, every night, you know, and it, I held on to it for dear life. So, um, so I really give the credit to them because they, they sort of, they, they were my, they were my why. Yeah, that's super helpful to think about. Um, and for people to put themselves into your shoes and understand, you know, the, the catalyst for making such a huge and, and challenging change. Um, you know, I, I similarly had a, uh, kind of a, a movie moment, if you will, in terms of looking in at myself on the way to a mental health event in college um, after a binge uh, drinking um, session on Saturday, on the Saturday, the day before, and basically was like, how am I saying I'm an advocate for mental health when I don't treat my self 
well at all. And my mental health is terrible. Um, I spend all week withdrawing from alcohol, not able to focus on anything. You know, I, I'm getting by, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting by and really in quotes, you know, I'm not really actually functioning. Um, but you know, I can't do this anymore if I want to be the person that I know I can be. Um, and that was my why. Um, and everybody needs to find that why in some way. Um, you know, for many people, it's, it's their kids or for some people it's, it's, you know, an overarching goal. Some people it's, it's, it's religion and God. Um, it's different for everybody. And, um, that why is, is super powerful and super important. So you, um, so when you started to, um, sink into and hold on to that why you started to open up about what was going on right I did I um I I did I because it kept me um instead of hiding I knew I needed to do the opposite of everything that I had been doing. So I told people, I told my coworkers, um, I told the person I was dating, who's now my husband. I, um, I was in therapy and I continued in therapy. Um, I actually, you know, took advice that the therapist had, you know, sort of been banging his head against the wall, trying to get me to try different things. And, um, and, and yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a turning point. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly what I did too. I, I actually, I knew being in college and being in such an environment where, and having a lot of friends where drinking, was what we did together. I needed to explain to them what was going on and get, get their understanding, um, as one of the the steps. So I actually sent a, um, a, a tech, I probably sent a text to, you know, over 50 or 60 people, um, a paragraph that I wrote that day, um, explaining that I, I don't, I don't feel okay. Um, you know, I don't feel like I'm living, to the best of my ability. I feel like I've become somebody I'm not. Um, and that alcohol has taken away a lot more than it had given me. Um, and that I was ready to be done and that I would appreciate more than anything, their support. Um, and of course, nobody responded negatively and, you know, um, contrary to my belief, I wasn't labeled as weak. In fact, I was labeled as strong, um, which is the exact opposite of what society tells us. Um, and I was looked, looked at as somebody that was making a decision for myself and for my well-being. Um, and people really respected that even being 21 or 22 years old which I was just truly 
amazed by um, and still am. Um, and I, I'll, I'm actually, you know, I will write a blog um, at some point talking about the decision to finally open up um, and break my, uh, break my brick wall that was the stigma um, that engulfed my life for 20 years. Um, and for you, it, it, it was, you, this didn't start, you didn't start open, you know, really working on at knowing that you had to end this cycle until you were 36 or 38 or somewhere in that range. Yeah, I think I was 36. And just to backtrack a tiny bit, um, what you did was super brave. You know, that's, that's really showing up for yourself and, um, you know, that I applaud you because it took me, you know, a lot of years to get to that point. And it's not easy to get to that point um, because there is so much, you know, shame. And um, I mean, for me, it's, it was really shame, shameful what I was doing and what I was hiding. And, um, and so good for you, seriously. Well, thank you so much. And um, I, yeah, I, I made, I realized that I didn't want to, you know, deal with this for my whole life. Um, and everybody comes to, a, you know, a decision to do something or not to do something in different ways. And, you know, it takes people a different amount of time. Um, I, you know, I, I'm lucky and feel really fortunate that I did make the decision earlier. Um, but it was, it was truly out of the, 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 the understanding that I didn't know if I was going to, you know, be able to function in society outside of college drinking like that. Um, you know, I was, I was like, I worried that like you, like when you're locked in the bathroom, you know, because of your mental health disorder, um, and you're not there for your kids. Um, mine was, I'm going to be, you know, barely getting to work on it Monday or Tuesday. Cause I'm so hungover and withdrawing from alcohol. And I, that's not, nobody can function like that. Um, you know, or at least they, they can't for, you know, a, a prolonged period of time. Um, so, you know, kind of similar, but, but different stories and, in terms of that, that realization, um, and that kind of quote rock bottom, um, that, you know, I, I don't really truly agree with cause somebody at rock bottom looks different for everybody. And, um, you know, but I think it, I call it more of like a realization or a, or a big, a big, well, a big why, um, why somebody makes a decision to work on something or, or kind of, get help for something. Um, and, and, and those R's were really just understanding that we came to the realization we can't do this anymore and that we need help and we need to get on a different path. So wanted to, um, end uh, with your, what you're doing now and, um, your message to, people that are in, in a struggle, um, 
and we all are, um, you know, just because I don't struggle with alcohol uh, anymore, doesn't mean that I don't struggle with other things um, and that that doesn't show up in different ways. Um, so let's, let's get into that and talk about um, what message you have for people and knowing what you know now. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of ways of thinking about, um, the changes that we need to make to arrive in a place where, um, we're making choices and decisions that are um, healthy. And there's um, one thing that was a big factor for me was um, to talk about it. And I am an introvert. I, you know, I'm the opposite of your dad, you know, he wants to be at every party. I want to be home, you know, home in my pajamas. So, um, so for me to be uncomfortable, um, I, I had to force myself to be uncomfortable and it wasn't, um, physically uncomfortable. It was mentally uncomfortable. I had to mentally, um, learn or relearn what it felt like to have people know things about me and, you know, surrender the fear of being judged, um, or lit, you know, know that by telling someone, as soon as you tell someone things shift. So I would, I would, you know, could tell a friend and say, Oh, you know, I, I need to share this with you. I'm bulimic. And, and, you know, the, that there's that one conversation, but then two days later, you're having lunch together. It's, there's a shift. Now they're noticing what I would assume is that they're noticing what I'm ordering, that they're seeing what I'm eating, that they're wondering what's happening when, you know, lunch is over and, um, there's so much attached to things that when people didn't know, um, those, that sort of focus wasn't on me, wasn't on my eating disorder. And as much as I didn't want that focus there, I needed it to help keep me straight, um, and healthy. Uh, alcohol, you can exist without drinking alcohol. You can't exist without eating food. And I, I had, you know, I had to figure out a way to form this new understanding and relationship with food. And, and it's not easy. And I'm a pastry chef and surrounded by sugar, you know, all and butter. <laughs> all the, <laughs> yeah. the trigger foods all the time. But, um, I think the things that, that kind of really helped me are being, you know, 
committed to not lying, like committed to not hiding. So some of these tendencies that were a result of um, having an eating disorder, I had a fight, you know, even if it had nothing else to do, nothing to do with an eating disorder, I had become a liar and I, I had to make myself uncomfortable learning, relearning how to be a truthful person. Um, and that meant being honest with my children when it was appropriate to tell them um, about my struggles so that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to hide. And um, so that was one thing. Um, another thing that really helped me was um, gratitude, finding things to be grateful for. I, I am, I, I think that throughout all of it, um, you know, I always was lucky enough to be able to see that I had the ability to choose. Um, I never felt or allowed myself to feel like a victim that this was out of, um, I don't know how to describe this because there are certainly moments where I felt like things were out of control and certainly ending up in the hospital was that, but I, I get to choose. Like I am lucky enough to choose um, what I am going to eat, what I'm going to do with my life, um, how I'm going to move forward and um, and I can choose to give myself grace for screwing up. I can choose to give myself compassion and kindness when I slip backwards because I have that faith and belief that um, it's not going to trend in that direction. It's, it's a hiccup. And um, and I can choose to see that I can use my experience to help other people, you know, because I can model, hopefully, what living with um, a mental illness looks like. And it, you know, it looks like being um, a kind person who gives back and who can have a have a successful business and also struggle, you know, with mental illness, you know? And so my hope is, my hope is that, um, that people who are struggling can give themselves that kindness and walk, you know, see, see not something that they should be ashamed of, but see strength in um, fighting for something better for themselves. And hopefully that helps, you know, people stay on the path of recovery. Yeah, thank you. Um, I couldn't agree more. And really what I think what you're describing in some ways and um, 
I, I'd never have been to AA, um, but I know it's super helpful for a lot of people um, or NA or anything for that matter um, is, is somewhat the serenity prayer grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Um, and that, you know, is something that I, um, practice every day and know that, you know, I can't change the, you know, the fact that I struggled with something for so long, or I can't change the fact that I had, um, I have OCD and, you know, ADHD, but what I can do is, um, you know, do my best to, you know, lit, change the things that I actually have the, you know, function to change. Um, and it sounds like you really leaned into those things and you continue to lean into those things. And, um, you know, that is what has helped you get to where you are. Yeah. And I think that Adam, the work that you're doing is, you know, it's helping you and it's also showing other people a, a new way, a different way, other options, um, other choices that they may have that they may not have considered. And I also think that there's, um, you know, people, you mentioned this earlier that, um, you know, that you see someone who's thin and, and we may label them as someone with anorexia or someone with an issue or whatever it is. And um, none of us really know what's going on for other people in our lives. Um, but they could know if we opened ourselves up and, and kind of shared some of our fears or shared where we feel weak or where we feel shame or regrets that we have. And by doing that, it normalizes those emotions, which are real and um, reasonable emotions to have. And instead of them, us feeling like we have to pretend to be something that we're not, what if we just accepted who we are and said, yeah, you know, uh, I, I've got this, I've got this challenge. I've got this illness and I'm, I'm managing it. And for the most part, you know, I'm doing okay, but there are some days that are really hard. And on those days, you know, I just want to curl up and, um, step out of life, but I got to do the opposite to keep moving forward. So I think the work you're doing is making a huge difference. So again, kudos to you. Well, well, thank you so much. I couldn't really appreciate that more. And I appreciate everybody that tells me, you know, that, and I'm just thankful to, you know, do what I love and connect with people. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a serial extrovert. Um, and so, you know, I can use this ability to, you know, feel my extrovertness and do it for a positive goal and positive result. And 
I, you know, want people to continue sharing and I want people to understand that it's not something you have to hide anymore. You know, this is, we're going to be in a society where you don't need to live uh, a, you know, a life where you're being somebody you're not and scared to be who you actually are. Um, we're our best selves when we are who we are, even if we're struggling, because that's life and, and life is hard. Um, and, you know, for everybody, to, no matter where, where they come from or who they are. So thank you so much, Karen. Um, Can I add really, one thing? Yeah, yeah, of course. I want to give a shout out to your parents um, only because they, they really have been um, so supportive, not only of me, but of, you know, this area of fighting mental health. Um, and I think that the, as, as parents, we have to do the best that we can with our children, with the tools that we have. And, um, and so that's sort of how we all, we, meaning we parents enter into parenthood, you know, just with the tools that we have and we can read books and try to, you know, add to our tool set, but it's one thing that has been um, just so, I admire so much with both of your parents um, is how much they are committed to adding to their tool, tool belt um, and being open to new things. And um, I don't know, they, they just, I really admire them. And I think that, um, you know, I can see the, in, the positive influence that they have had on both you and Lainey and they've had that same influence on me. So I just, I, I think we're both lucky that we know them. <laughs> yeah. I um, talked about it on my last podcast with my sister. Um, my parents willingness to um, enter these conversations uh, and talk about mental health, especially their mental health um, and their challenges um, is really second to none um, and incredibly transformative uh, to me. Um, it's, you know, understanding that that wasn't the generation that, you know, they're from. Our generation is more, my generation, you know, as opposed to yours is, is, is more open. Um, and their ability to recognize and understand that they need to be vulnerable and open too, in order to, you know, help to level with, um, you know, my sister and I, um, is, is what allows this to happen. Um, and is what allowed me to realize that I can do this, these things, and I can be myself. Um, and, that everybody will still love me starting with my parents. Um, and so I've just been struck at their bravery and courageousness um, and their, you know, uh, ability to listen and understand and not judge and, and really add all these skills 
you know, that they learned on the fly um, in a lot of cases, because we don't learn a lot of these things and um, apply it, you know, wherever they can. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, I totally wouldn't be able to do this if they didn't take that stance on mental health with myself and, and my sister. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel super fortunate to be able to have these conversations in my household um, or where, you know, we, I don't live with them anymore, but I, I could, I can talk to them about anything whenever. And that, you know, unfortunately, likely isn't the case for a lot of families. Um, so it's something I don't take for granted and, and treasure and value every day. So I'm glad that you're able to have a relationship that's deep, you know, rooted with them as well. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much. And, um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm so grateful that you've come on and, and shared with me and, and um, the platform, your story. And I know it'll impact um, people. And if, if it gets, like I always say, if, if this gets one person to talk about something, then, you know, it's, it's serving its purpose. Um, so we'll, we'll, uh, we will look forward to, you know, seeing the effect on the community that people being more open has. And um, I will, uh, I will see all of you guys in a, in a few weeks when I, whenever I record the next podcast, I'm trying to give myself the, the, the serenity to know that I can record podcasts when I want to, and that I can, I don't need to do it on a tight schedule, you know, all the time. Um, so I will have another episode. And when I do, um, I'm looking forward to it. But until then, hope everybody um, enjoys uh, whatever they got going on. And um, as always, if you're interested, or you have any thoughts or comments or want to come on, reach out to me. I, I love doing this. And I can't wait for it to continue. Just the beginning. So thanks again, Karen, and uh, have a great day, everybody.